but we're going to get in the Word right now um, as we conclude our series soundtrack. If, you, if you're new with us or don't remember, the concept of soundtrack for us is like when you're watching a movie and there's this epic scene and the music is building up, it, it releases an emotion in you. It does something within the context of that movie that your eyes alone don't get the emotions alone, but the, the soundtrack behind really makes a lot of the movies that we hear and that we think of and that we see, whether it's in a horror flick and you know something's bad about to happen, or you know, you're watching some romantic comedy or something and you hear the strings in the background. I don't know if, about you, but I grew up, unfortunately, watching shows like Full House and uh, every time they would have this little guitar lick that came on when it was kind of a, a moment or like the Cosby show, a Theo moment, and that music would come on. It was like, okay, now it's time to bring it home. Come on. And so we, we're used to that. We have that soundtrack, but for us and what we're trying to point out is the book of Psalm in a way is the soundtrack of the scripture. It, it invokes emotion in us. And that's a good thing just to remind you why we're doing this series because God doesn't want you to not have emotion and just stuff it. He doesn't want a Spock, right? Just a brain on a stick. Don't, don't feel, just, just you know, go with what is logical. He's, he gave you emotions. Emotions aren't bad in and of themselves. And some people actually feel that way or grew up in a household where you stuffed your emotions. On the other hand, a lot of us or some of us vent our emotion fully. Maybe you grew up in a household that just everything, you know, let's scream and yell, let's get it all out. And that's not necessarily great either. That can cause a lot of harm, relationship dysfunction. And so fully giving vent to your emotion and just doing everything you feel is equally not right. Where the scripture doesn't say stuff your emotion, it doesn't say fully vent your emotion. It says pray your emotions. Because your emotions can be God-given, but they need to be given to the Lord to work out what he wants in your life. And they're beautiful things. They're the soundtrack of life, but they need to be used wisely. So what we've been talking about in different messages, whether we're dealing with um, fear and doubt and different things, today we're going to deal with in Psalm 32, this emotion of shame, dealing with sin, dealing with conviction, but ultimately, as you'll see in Psalm 32, not just going down a road of woe is me and feeling bad alone, but turning that conviction and that shame into joy because we serve a God that loves us and forgives us. And that's a beautiful, beautiful thing. So I want to read through Psalm 32 together, and then we'll come back and we'll do a little bit of teaching. Check this out, Psalm 32. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. Selah. Remember, Selah means stop, think about this. It's also an instrumental interlude. So stop and think about what he just said. I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Selah. Therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found, surely in the rush of great waters, they shall not reach him 
You are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. Selah. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Be not like a horse or a mule without understanding, which must be curbed with bit and bridle, or it will not stay near you. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. Will you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your word. We ask that your word goes deep into the soil of our heart and produces some 30, some 60, some 100 fold in return. We bless you in Jesus' name. Amen. So the whole book of Psalms begins with this concept of blessed. You see constantly in the scripture, blessed. Now, I think we throw this term around a lot. If you speak uh, native language, you've been in church a long time, Christianese, um, you've heard this a lot. Talk to somebody, how you doing? I'm blessed, highly favored. Yeah? And, and that's awesome. And so I don't want to discourage that. But do we really know what that always means? Or are we just saying what we've heard? Are we just echoing? What does blessed actually mean? Because I think we need to get a good framework for what this is. And let me help you with this. The concept of bless in scripture is, I want you to think of it in this, this way. If you look up the definition, it's happy, um, uh, to be envied, like you're so, you're so favored that you want to be, that, that people envy your life. And the idea I want you to get is blessed equals the life you've always wanted. So I don't know about you, but I have three kids. I had almost a decade of changing diapers, and I was the dad. I changed a lot of diapers. It wasn't just mama. Daddy changed diapers, okay? And so for me, during that diaper changing season, the idea of the life I always wanted looked like no diapers, no stinkiness, right? No, no one that we tried to throw in the garage trash can, and it got left and didn't make it. And the garage started stinking, okay? Just telling you a little bit about our life. Um, not having that anymore. And at that time, just the idea of being on a cruise ship or a desert island alone without babies and poop everywhere um, and drinking, you know, Dr. Pepper or something, you know, spiritual out on this island was, would be my idea of the life I always wanted during that time. Now, we all have an idea of what that blessed life looks like, of what, um, to you, the life you always wanted would be. And in different circumstances, different life, or different times in your life, it might be different. Maybe um, you're married and things are hard and you've got kids and you've just got a lot of burdens and you, just the blessed life would be being alone. Maybe you're alone and you think, man, the, the best life I could think of would be having somebody and having a relationship and somebody that loves me. And so it changes this concept of blessed. The Bible really tries constantly to give you instruction and tell you what God has made you for and the purpose he gave you in order to give you a picture from God's perspective of what you really need. So when the Bible talks about blessing, okay, it will have a lot of different things that you'll see. And sometimes you'll see financial need being, being met, which is fine. Sometimes you'll see healing and, and prosperity in a right way. And then sometimes the Bible also brings out the idea of blessing because it wants to paint a picture for the life you always wanted from God's perspective saying, this actually is the thing that gives you the life you've always wanted. 
Because how many of you guys know, we don't always know what's best for us. If you don't know that yet, uh, you probably haven't been through enough. Life will teach you that you don't know enough. And, and the Puritans used to say this, the same sun that hardens the clay also melts the ice. And what they meant was when you're reading the scripture, it's like the sun. And in some people, it will either harden their hearts to not want to listen or it will melt their hearts to listen. But it's the same sun. It's the same word. So God comes in, introduces someone like David, who was a king, has experienced power, wealth, women, as much as you can fathom. And he has something to say about really the best kind of life that you can have according to God's perspective. Now, here's the deal. Before we get into this scripture, because we're going to talk about sin and conviction and shame, is this could be really low, like, oh, this is hard. You have to be able to be in a posture to be able to hear what it is I'm saying. Because Jesus would come in and say things like this. Let those who have ears hear what I'm saying. Because not everybody can really hear it. And here's why. When we're talking about things like sin and, and being wronged, we're in a culture that doesn't like to hear someone else tell me what to do. And if that's you, you're going to hate God. Because he has a lot to say about what you should do with your life. And, and the fact that we call him God would mean he would know. And that he knows everything. And that he has a plan. And he has something good for you, even if you don't agree with it. So learning to trust him, this is really hard sell in our culture. Because when we talk about things like sin, in fact, the, the worst thing you can do in our culture is for somebody to tell you what to do. Don't tell me what to do because we live in a very moral, relativistic culture. My way, my thing. Have you heard a lot in the news and different people say things like my truth? This is, I'm going to live my truth. Now, before you go bashing that, there's, there's an element of truth to that. Let me give some validity in the sense that we all have personal convictions that are different. Okay, And the Bible in Romans 14, 15, 16 would talk about that. But the problem is that's not a full truth. Because we don't have all just our own individual truth that we live by fully. There are absolute truths that are right and wrong. And, and the Bible talks about that and it speaks about that. And when we hear that, we either harden ourselves and say no, or we soften and we allow God through trust in him and go, okay, you know. You know better. You know the way. I've tried to govern my life in the way I think it should go. And it's not really working out. This is why most people come to God after something bad has happened in their life. Because you've come to the end of yourself and you realize, I thought I had the blessed life planned out. I actually got it and it wasn't what I thought it was. So I'm humble enough now to receive from someone else. Now, if you just live in this moralistic, morally relativistic world, you actually can't live up to that worldview very well. Because when we're all doing what is right in our own eyes, we all end up actually hurting each other. Because you can't fully live that worldview out. Now, I don't know about you, I grew up in elementary school, in junior high school. I loved, in the, I'd go in the library and we'd have to pick out books and I loved those choose your own adventure books, you know what I'm talking about? I, you might not know, the, a book is this thing with paper and you open it up 
and it, and it smells like it, this, it's really interesting. And so we would have these books and I liked them because I got to choose my own thing. Like I had enough independence. I'm like, I don't want to just read your story. Like I want to be a part of the story and I want to say, I'm choosing D, right? And then you go to D and you turn the page, and you go to that and you read that. And, and it was cool because you kind of got to make your own travel. Morally, you can't do that. You can't live that life fully without hurting someone or offending someone ultimately, because you weren't made for that. You were made with dignity and a purpose, and God alone knows what that is and has shared that with us. And now we have the ability to say, this is what it means to be blessed. Look at verse one. David says this, blessed, to be envied, to prosper, to have the best kind of life you can think of, is the one, not who has everything, who is content even, he doesn't go into all of these things. He says this, blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. So here's the picture he starts off and he says this, your true life you've always wanted, the thing you're fully after, whether you realize it or not, the true blessed amazing life is the life where you're not covering your your sins and covering yourself but you have been fully forgiven and you are walking fully in that relationship with God and people. He says that kind of person, that is the kind of life you want. Now for us, for most people in our culture, because when you just throw around the term sin and throw around the term like you should do this and you should not do that, people immediately like, okay, don't tell me what to do and back off. And I get it because I'm, I'm a part of that culture as well. But I think you have to backtrack and realize, what is he talking about when he's talking about sin? Because the first thing he says here is, blessed is one whose transgressions and sin have been, he says this, is covered. Now, I think we have to get this idea of sin, and I'm going to show you the three Hebrew words for sin. There's three distinct words that David actually mentions in this psalm, and it's in, in, in Hebrew. But before we get that, I want to Talk about this idea of covering because when somebody just says you're in sin or you're wrong or you're bad, a lot of times, depending on the relationship, it's really hard to get, right? If you ever post anything on Facebook and then you get somebody like after you, right? It's really hard. But see, I I want you to hear what I'm saying and I want you to have ears to hear the things that I'm saying. When, when I was growing up, my favorite movie, one of my favorite movies growing up, don't judge me, was White Man Can't Jump. Um, I always wanted to dunk. I still have dreams that I can dunk. It's really sad. But in the movie White Man Can't Jump, you've got Woody Harrelson, this white guy, and uh, Wesley Snipes, the blackest black guy. And he, in this movie, and they're playing basketball together. And they're in the car, and they're listening to Jimi Hendrix. And Woody Harrelson's character is going, man, I love Jimi Hendrix. And Wesley Snipes says something to him, and he says, you can't hear Jimi. He says, you're listening, but you can't hear. You don't really hear it. You don't have that soul power, right? You can't hear him. And, and this is before we even continue to go. You can't hear Scripture without understanding a few things. Number one, you can't hear Scripture without understanding on one end Many of us, there's many people in this room, and this was kind of where I lived, are, are so religious and so self-righteous sometimes and can justify and we do things right that when we hear things like sin, we immediately think of someone else. Oh, man, I wish so-and-so would hear this. Oh, dang. 
Where are they at? Right? So, so here's the problem. You think too little of your own sin. It hasn't gone down deep enough to crush you. Now, on the other hand, there's a lot of people in this room that are on the other end that think things like, I, I, you, you, don't, you don't know what I've done. I, I can never really be forgiven. I can never change if you really knew me. And you think too little of grace. You think too little of forgiveness and what God is able to do. And you have to be able to hear this and hear what David is saying and understand this is coming from not someone who's standing up on some moral authority. He did some good things, but he also did some horrible things. So he understood the power of forgiveness and blessing. And look what he says. He says, you're blessed when you've been forgiven. Your real best life is a forgiven life when your sin is covered. Now, you, you might not think of sin in this term, but he uses this term covered, and, and, it, and it should take you to the idea of Genesis chapter 3. And in Genesis chapter 3, you've got Adam and Eve, and you've got the, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, um, and this apple that they're not supposed to eat from to give them choice to serve God or not, and to trust his ways or not. And they choose not the tree of life, but they choose that. And immediately it said, when they sinned, when they cho- chose a different path than what God had for them, it said something happened to them. And they, the first thing that happened is they felt ashamed because the first time they realized they were naked and they, they wanted to clothe themselves. So they're looking at themselves. They're going, okay, whoa, what happened? My eyes are open. Now this all of a sudden that was good, I feel bad for. Because what the scripture would teach is the glory of God or God's presence that was covering them, left them. And so now they felt alone and ashamed and naked. Now, we can understand the idea of wanting to cover up because we don't want to be exposed for something. You know, if you were back there running these slides and for some reason we had a glitch and all of your browser history got thrown up on the screen for everybody to see, you would feel shame. You would feel like, oh, or, or maybe you've left your phone out before and you had some pictures and things that you didn't want other people to see or, or somebody, and, and you, you're used to covering up, but it got exposed. That's the feeling that happened. For me in my house, if, if we invite you over, we have a room that we stuff all our junk in. You know what I'm talking about? Because we would feel ashamed if you went in that room and saw all that clutter We don't want to open ourselves completely to you because we don't want you to fully know us because you might then not like us or accept us or judge us. You might judge us too harshly. And the Bible says this, the person that's truly blessed is able to fully be known and is able to to be covered by God. And this is the the best kind of life. Look what he says. He says, Verse 2, blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity and whose spirit there is no deceit. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through the groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as the heat of the summer. Selah. Look what he says. He says, as long as I didn't confess that sin and I just stuffed it and pushed it down, as long as I did that, I felt like I was going to explode. I was groaning in my inward man. My bones, my body literally ached because I wasn't being fully who I was called to be. 
because I was going on a different path or doing something wrong against you and others. And I could even feel it in my bones, he said. Many of us have had this experience before. He doesn't stop there, though, because I think a lot of times we do stop there. And we stop and we just feel bad for our sin. I've talked to people before that have come to our church and, and, and said things like, you know, every time I go to church, I just feel bad. I just feel bad. And I'm sitting here going, okay, I get that on one sense. But the gospel, truly hearing the message of Christ, doesn't leave you feeling bad. It should take you somewhere. It shouldn't leave you just feeling depressed and frustrated and down. And this is what we see. He says, the best kind of life is when you're fully forgiven and you've been covered. When I, when, when I didn't confess my sin and I was ashamed and I didn't allow it to come out and bring it to God, I felt like I was dying on the inside. But it doesn't stop there. Look, he says, therefore, let everyone who's, who's godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. Oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Verse five, excuse me. He says, I acknowledge my sin to you. And I did not cover my iniquity. And I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Let me, let me pull out really quickly. There's three words. There's sin, there's iniquity, and there's transgressions. All words you've used this week in a sentence with your coworkers, right? No, this is, we, we don't understand. But, but I want to kind of open what this means because there are three different distinct words. So number one, sin. I'm going to teach you a little bit of Hebrew. Here you go. How many of you guys speak multiple languages? Now you can add Hebrew. Here we go. The word sin in Hebrew is chata'ah. Say chata'ah. Yeah, you got chata'ah. Okay? Yeah, it's fun. It's fun. And it's good for you. Um, cleanses the palate. Chata'ah. This, this word is sin, and it literally means failure to miss the mark. In fact, one of the scriptures, um, uh, the, the Benjaminites they were known for being able to use a slingshot, and it would say they would never chata'ah, they would never miss the mark. They would never fail. They could hit their target every time. And the Bible would say, we've all, though, failed. If you've ever experienced any kind of failure, I remember the worst failure I can even just think of right now, which, I mean, there's others, but the worst I'm comfortable sharing with you is when I was in junior high, I'm playing basketball. It was my first time to play basketball in, in junior high in school. And I remember I go up for this rebound, and I got this rebound, and it was so awesome. And I put it back up, and I missed. Um, the biggest problem was I was on the wrong goal. And so I was glad I missed, but I would shot at the wrong goal. And do you know the failure that comes over a seventh grader, 13-year-old at that point when you realize, what am I doing I felt my team, my coach, like, Pate, get out of here, right? And like, oh my gosh. And White Me Can't Jump is my favorite movie. So we're struggling right now. <laughs> I, I remember that feeling of failure. And yet, that feeling that is so strong we can all relate with. Imagine, imagine, and this is what David's trying to get. That feeling, not, listen, just going away, but actually being covered and grace being given to you in that moment. That's like a refreshing glass of water in the desert. That's, he's saying, so, so here's what happened. He said, I acknowledge my chata'ah, I acknowledge my failure to you. God, I have failed. And then he says this, look, so we've got to acknowledge. He says this, I did not cover my iniquity. So I didn't cover my tracks. This word iniquity is avon, okay? And it means, and it's, it's imagery, and the imagery or metaphor that it is, is you're going on a journey, and you're going down the right path, 
but then you veer off on the wrong path. And sometimes that happens intentionally, sometimes that happens unintentionally. But, but the point of this is, he's saying, I'm not covering myself even for the things I don't, I don't intentionally do. And this is a posture we have to come to God and know. We have to be able to come to God and say this, I know I'm not perfect. I know I don't have it all together. And I know even the things that I'm not aware of, there's, th- there's places that I stray in my life. That's a posture that he's coming. He said, I'm not going to cover those tracks. And look what he says. And he said this, I will confess, I will say, confess means to tell the truth. I will say, confess my transgressions to the Lord. The word transgression is pesha. And this is not just that I happened to fail or I went wayward, but there was a line drawn and I knew about it and I stepped over anyway. It's like a rebellious teenager. Right, Addison? (laughs) Step over anyway. I do my own thing, even though I know it's wrong. And this is what he said. I didn't, I, I, I confessed my waywardness. I, I didn't try to cover that alone. And he says this, you forgave even my rebellion. And this is the beauty of this. And this is the beauty of confession and shame is that it starts with this overwhelming feeling. But if you don't understand something about our God, this is what David understood about our God about the God is that he's willing and he's ready and he can't wait to forgive. I love this. The confidence that David has in God, not in how bad he feels or his shame or his conviction, but the confidence that David has in God and in God alone is this. I came as a broken person to you, confess that I've wronged you and wronged others. I got to that place and he said, and you forgave. Now, don't go too fast past that. The acknowledgement of sin, the acknowledgement of not covering up, and then the confession of it. Don't don't go too fast that, okay, I didn't. No, no, no. Look at this. Look at this. God is so willing to forgive. This is the character that our God is. He is a gracious God just waiting for his children, just waiting for his people just to come. He's like on the edge of his seat saying, come on. I'm ready, I'm waiting, I can't wait. I want you to get this so badly because this is what changes everything. Now, look what he continues to say. Go down to to verse eight, I'm sorry, verse six. Therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. Surely in the rush of great waters, they shall not reach him. Verse seven, you are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. This is your goal in my confession, not to beat me up, not to make me feel bad and just stay down in the dumps. This is what you want to do. You shout deliverance on my life. Like you want to see me past it because my confession isn't just that I'm bad and I'm wrong, but that I'm not living according to how you have made me to live and you've given me great dignity. You've given me great position and I have substituted it for trash. This is repentance. This is understanding. This is about my relationship with him. This is about God, not just about me and the fact that he would be willing and ready and he can't wait to give you forgiveness. He says, you shout deliverance over me. This this idea is, God, you're so consistent in your character. I know you're ready and willing to forgive and to love and to accept and to give justice because you're always consistent in your character. 
Whereas me, I'm not always consistent in my character. Look at what he says, verse 8, as we wrap up. I will instruct you, God says to him, and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. He says, not only am I forgiving you, but now I'm going to help you continue in that blessing. Put you on the path. Because I'm not just here to forgive and move on, but I'm here to actually change you and take you somewhere. And then he says this, and this is profound. Be not like a horse or a mule without understanding, which must be curbed with bit and bridle, or it will not stay near you. Now, now this is weird. This is, this is extremely profound, but this is weird. We're like, what is he talking about? Here's what he's saying. Ultimately, here's what he's saying. I don't want you to only feel bad for your sin and for what you're going through and missing the mark and failure and all these things. I don't want you to only feel bad when I have to bridle you and pull you in a certain direction. In other words, here's what happens with horses. And I know the thing about horses, because my, my father-in-law trains them, does amazing things. That, that bridle and that bit is designed to get you to train them to do something, to pull them in a certain way. And what it does is it tells them, oh, okay, I want to, this hurts, this hurts. I want to increase pleasure and diminish pain. So I'll go the way you want to go. And God says, that's not how I want you to live your life. I don't want you to wait for pain to change. He says, my life for you is not to get on the merry-go-round of religion where you feel good, feel bad, feel good, feel bad, feel good, feel bad. I'm not looking for the roller coaster. And if that's always your life, you're not truly experiencing the joy that I have for you. I want you, like a good horse, to trust me and just go the way I'm asking you to go. See, at that time, they would have battles. And if there's an army or something goes off or there's a snake, and if you have a horse, you can have the fastest, most gifted, most largest horse. But if it is not broken and allowing the rider to do whatever it wants, it is worthless and it's just scared. I, I, I want to show you a video. We've got a little bit of time. I want to show you a video of Pinto here to give you an example of this. Check this out. I think God is saying this, don't be like Pinto, where I have to throw things at you and bring pain to you in order for you to get up. Because see, shame and failure can make you stay down and just feel bad and just woe is me and I can't get it right and I'm not good. And if that's what you hear out of God and out of the gospel, you're missing it. You're not hearing because the gospel is this, yeah, you were wrong. Let's go deep into that. Don't go too fast. One thing that does scare me is people that have a testimony without repentance. Like they never felt bad. Because the thing is not to just feel bad because you had bad things happen to you. The gospel is, I feel bad because my sin caused you to have to die. My sin broke relationship with you and with people around me. I'm not just sad for the consequences and staying down like Pinto, but I really did hurt you, literally. This is why God had to die, had to come. And as the Bible said, he had to become sin. And he had to take on our sin. But listen, 
we don't stay down. Oh, God, I feel so bad that that happened. No, 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 no. It happened. You feel bad for what your part of it is. But now, if you don't get to that place like David, that you actually rejoice in the fact that he loves you and he forgave you and he's after your heart and he's waiting for you and he speaks great things and life into you and he has a plan and so many great things for your destiny. But if you stay down because you're just living in shame, some of us do that because we want to stay there. We don't want to change. But I think God's saying, hey, you need to think highly of my grace and forgiveness as well. And I love how David ends this. Don't be like that horse that has to go through the merry-go-round of pain and the only time you obey is when it is either pleasurable or not pleasurable for you. That's not what I want. I want out of you a person that trusts me and loves me. And somebody I could say, let's go be victorious. Don't be afraid like a horse riding. Don't be afraid of that that thing that's coming or that gunshot that's going to steer you. I've got you. Let's go because I've got something great for us. That's the God we serve. That's the gospel. And he ends by saying this. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but steadfast love surrounds the one, listen, who trusts in the Lord. God, your way. Okay, I trust your way. I don't feel it. I don't always want it. That's not my picture of blessed, but it is now. Because what God is able to do is change your heart and desire as you look at him and not you. He says this. Now he ends. And we're ending here too. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy all you upright in heart. Now, it'd be real easy to end this service. And just, let's just, you know, feel bad and let's stay in this state. But, but see, I, I think that's probably why we stay, end up like Pinto. And just stay down on ourselves and our circumstances. Because part of repentance isn't just feeling bad. Repentance means changing the way you think. Sometimes repentance is now going, you know what? I don't necessarily feel that, but I believe that you're great, God. I don't necessarily maybe feel all better up in my feelings, but because of what me believing and what Christ has done, I can rejoice that you forgive me. Not based on how much I wallow and how, how much shame I feel. Because listen, that's still about you. But based on what you have done, you've shown me your love. I accept that. And I'm telling you, that's the beginning of change desires. Not just how bad you can feel, but how much you can accept and receive the love of God. How many of you guys have testimonies in this room right now that it wasn't that you just stayed feeling bad about your sin, but you realized how much loved you were and how, much, how forgiven you were and how much grace he extended to you, even in your worst. When you were naked and confused and, uh, and had everything against you, he came and he called you his son and his daughter and said, you are mine. That changes everything. I want to end with this thing we've said before that I I believe Tim Keller said it, but it's so powerful for this. 
I added this first line. It says, to be unknown and unloved is frustrating. Like, if you've ever had somebody that doesn't like you or says bad things about you, but they don't know anything about you, isn't that frustrating? It's like, you don't know me. It's frustrating. To be unknown and loved is flattering. So if you come up to, to me after and you're like, hey, that was a good message, or I've listened to your podcast, or whatever, that's flattering, but you don't really know me. To be known and unloved is frightening. That's actually our worst fear. You fully know me and you go, I don't want you. That's why we cover ourselves up. But to be fully known and fully loved, that is our greatest need. For God to say, I know you inside and out. Nothing you can hide from me. Nothing. Quit tricking yourself. And yet, I say, come on. I can't wait to get to know you more, to love you, and to forgive you. See, that's worth shouting about. That's life changing. Not just your bad be good. That's religion. Your bad. I became bad and sin for you, Christ says, so that now you can have a new heart and a new life and know you are loved. That's, as David would say, the most blessed kind of life is the life that you're forgiven. And I want to end today with praise as he ends this whole thing, not in woe is me, but great is you. Because that's life transforming. So we're going to sing, we're going to end, and we'll have a time. Randy will close us out. We're just going to sing a song together. I want you to invite you to stand, and I want to pray, and I want to turn this place into a rejoicing place. If you can say, I'm forgiven, you should be joyful. You might not have a lot of circumstantial reasons to be joyful today, but if you can go, God loves me, and he forgives me, huh, that's what I need, and that's what he comes to offer we thank you for your love and your grace and we rejoice in you and we give you first place God we don't take this time to wallow in and of ourselves but Lord right now to repent and change the way we think and look at you and praise you we welcome you in this place in Jesus name